Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Before we jump in today, I want to share three big things that we experienced last week that I think are worth celebrating as a church. And so the first thing, and people have asked us a bunch of you were here last week during Easter, people kept asking, like, how many people were actually here at Easter? And so last week, there were 429 people that came to celebrate Easter here with us at Collective, which is amazing. I think you guys should clap for that. That's huge. This is the second highest attendance we've ever had outside of Christmas of last year. For those of you who are first-time guests, thank you for checking out this church. For those of you who invited or brought people with you, you guys crushed it. For those of you who invited and struck out, don't get discouraged and don't give up. We're going to keep trying to create space for you to bring people to experience just how good God is uh, on Sunday mornings and we experience him through Collective. The second big thing is that last week we saw a record number of people attend one of our seven weekly collectives. And this is something that we talk about every week. Our MC says it. Like, if you're not in community, this is a great way to get connected. They eat good food. They have a ton of fun. But in total, 112 people got together during the week to hang out, to have great conversation, to eat great food, late night drink, a lot of really good beer, and spend time in community. So thank you all, if you're in a collective, for investing outside of this. Like we say it all the time, this is good, but it isn't just about this. So thank you for that. And the last thing, this is really cool, is that you all helped start a new church last week. Now let me explain. When you give to Collective, whether that's online or in the gray baskets as you leave the gym, we as a church actually give away 10%. And so we actually tithe on anything that comes in to this church. And that 10% goes to missions. And a big piece of that is church planting. We are a church plant. We believe in church planting. We know, and and you see it uh, nationally, that church planting is the hope for the church. Church planting is the best way to reach people who are far from God and reach people who don't go to church. And so last week in the Richmond area, a new church started called Jacob's Well. And financially, if you give to this church, you helped financially get them started. And so um, thank you guys for doing that. You know, it's really easy to focus on Easter and just be like, yeah, man, Sunday morning was so great. But in general, we got to see seven wonderful days as a church, seven wonderful uh, things outside of just Sunday morning. And we got to see God moving well beyond what we do here at 930 and 11. So thank you guys for that. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Burned, and we're going to talk about the idea of being burned by the church, burned by Christians, and burned by God. And I'm really excited about this series, but I approach it with a lot of caution because there are so many people who would say that they have been burned. And uh, this series has burst out of a couple ideas, and one of them is my own personal experiences, as well as the experiences I've seen play out in numerous friends and families' lives who would say they've been burned by the church or by Christians, or by God. I think of a woman that I once met who worked in a church for years. And one time her church was going through a big financial campaign trying to construct a bigger building, and they needed to raise a lot of money. And so they reached a point point where they essentially locked the staff in a room and told them that in order for the church to meet their financial goal, the staff had to raise X amount of dollars, and they were not leaving that room until they figured out how it would happen. By the end of the meeting, uh, this woman had actually taken off her diamond wedding ring and thrown it into the middle of the table because it's the only thing she had of value to contribute. 
And the leaders in that church didn't stop her. They were totally okay with her taking that step. After years of seeing power struggles and manipulation and arrogance of the leaders of the church, she finally said, I'm out, and went and got a job in real estate. I think of a friend of mine who grew up in the Catholic church, and when she was in middle school, she watched as her father began to physically and emotionally abuse her mother on a nightly basis. For years, her mother endured the pain, but eventually she'd had enough. She took my friend and her siblings, and she walked out on him. When the church she was going to found out that her mother was divorcing her father, they told her that she could no longer attend. My friend hasn't stepped foot in a church since. I think of my childhood best friend, whose name is Muhammad. He grew up in a Muslim household, and after 9-11, he was constantly harassed by people he didn't even know. When he was in college, he actually went to WVU, and during his time there, he came across a church that was full of hate, very similar to Westboro Baptist. One afternoon, this church was actually picketing near the school with signs that said, God hates Muslims. And after years of dealing with this hatred, he actually changed his name to Joseph and regularly posts online and on social media about his hatred for Christians and the church. After starting Collective, I actually reached out to him because I knew that was going to create a barrier between us. I knew there was going to be a struggle between him and I and how he viewed me. And so on multiple occasions, I've actually offered to drive three and a half hours to sit down with him and try to share who Jesus really is and share what the church is really supposed to look like. But the last message he sent me said this. He said, even if Jesus was real, I wouldn't want to follow him because of the hatred I have experienced on behalf of his name. I have a friend who's in ministry and the expectations and pressure from church members and church leaders cost him his marriage. And so he walked away from it all. The last time we talked, he said he still believes in God, but won't have anything to do with ministry or the church ever again because he'd been burned. And so many of us in this room could go through story after story and say that Christians or that the church or that God hurt me and because of that, I don't want any part of them. And if it isn't us, you know family and friends who have similar stories. Another reason for this series is a stat I heard a few months ago. And the stat said this, over 90% of Americans have been heavily involved in church at some point in their lives, 90%. And the way they defined heavily involved was being involved in a church for at least three hours a week. And when you think about that, that's a lot. Like that's an actual commitment. That's being involved in collective. You go to church, but it's attending one of the small groups, right? It's going to church, but also serving on the team on Sunday mornings. It's beyond simply sitting in the seats for an hour every Sunday. It's a commitment. When I thought about it, it started to make sense because we all know people, or maybe you would even say this. You would say, in high school, I was a part of a youth group. Or you say, in college, there was this cool campus ministry that I was involved with. Or maybe you say this, when I was a kid, grandma dragged me to church every week, and I was there every time it was open. And so these people, 90%, which is most people, tend to know the deal. They know the basic messages that God loves you, that God sent his son Jesus for you, that God offers you grace, but something happened along the way where they left, where you left, where you said it was irrelevant, where you said it was not true, where you, you said it's not making a big enough difference in your life, and so you walked away. And a lot of times it makes you feel burned. Now, let me give you a few cautions, though, to this topic, because I've met a lot of people who would say they were burned by the church or burned by Christians or burned by God, and they just weren't. I'm a soapbox for a second. Since the moment I entered ministry, I've met people who were legitimately hurt by the church. 
churches that told people that they are too broken to be healed, churches that have turned their backs on people because of a messy divorce, churches who have created barriers and made it impossible to experience the grace and truth that Jesus offers. But just as often, I've heard people talk about how they've been burned, and it just isn't true. I once met a couple that left their previous church because they didn't like the style of music that was played. But they'll tell people that they were burned, that the church did this to them. But here's the deal. Style of music is a preference. A collective, we call it a non-essential. You might not like a certain style of worship music, and that's okay. You might want to find a church that plays a style of music that you believe you can fully worship to, and that's also okay. But to say you were burned by the church because you don't like a style of music, get over it. People have told me that they were burned because the pastor taught something from the Bible that they didn't agree with. And listen, we talk a lot about grace here at Collective, but we never lose sight of the fact that Jesus came to bring grace and truth. Grace tells us that we can have endless second chances. Truth teaches us a better way to live. You need both. But to say you were burned because you don't like what the Bible teaches, I'm sorry, but that's just not true. I've met people who say they've been burned because they wanted to lead groups or lead events or lead teams, but leadership at their previous church said no. After asking a few questions, I quickly realized that the person wanted the title of leader without the responsibility that went with it. They didn't want to serve. They didn't want to give. They didn't want to take care of the little things. Those people aren't burned. They're selfish. And to be honest, it isn't fair to people who have been truly hurt and wounded by the church. And so while there are a lot of reasons why people aren't burned by the church, I do think there are several reasons why people get burned by the church. There are several things that churches do that end up end, uh, leaving us feeling burned or broken or hurt because of the church. One reason I would say is the misuse of power. The reality is a lot of you have been victims of the misuse of power in the church. That board forced you out unfairly that priest took your innocence, that pastor manipulated, that leader proved faithless. And so you view church as an authoritarian structure that does whatever it feels like and doesn't actually care about people. And based on your experience, that's a good and logical place to be. Another reason why people have been burned by the church is that we have brokenness in our life. Right? You went to a church because you heard it was a place of grace. You were messed up. You needed help. You didn't know what to do. You didn't know where to go. So you thought maybe church is the answer. But the church you found yourself in completely judged you and made you feel like dirt and said, if you don't clean that up, then don't bring yourself in here or we'll show you the door. But what you wanted to say was that the reason why you came to church was because you can't clean it up, but you left because you realized that if you have to be perfect, you don't qualify the third reason people have been burned by the church is irrelevance on the issues of life. People come to church every single week looking for hope. You know this. A lot of you are here because of that. You're looking for hope. Hope in your marriages, hope in your relationships, hope in the pain that you're experiencing. And sometimes we simply need someone to tell us that Jesus wouldn't leave us and that he loves us. But too often people show up looking for hope and never experience it. So the church feels irrelevant to the problems you're facing, to the doubts that you have, to the changes you want to make. It's like going to the hospital when you're feeling sick and the medical staff simply tells you biologically what's going on with you, but they don't give you anything to make it better. Why would you go back? And the result of all of this is that people leave the church or at least become apathetic toward the church. 
Or maybe they don't leave, but they become disengaged. Maybe they go because their wife wants them to, or they have friendships they want to maintain. Realistically, many people who have been burned by the church still love Jesus, or at least kind of love Jesus, because Jesus didn't burn them. But the church, they're done with that, because leaders misuse power, because we have brokenness in our lives, or because the church just feels irrelevant. And so if you feel like you've been to that church or you've walked away from that church, or you've been burned by that church, the first thing I want to do is just say thank you for being here. It is not a small deal that you are giving church another shot. And specifically, we think it's an even bigger deal that you're giving collective a shot, so thank you. But maybe you're just checking it out today. We want to say thank you for being here as well. We hope that there's something in the sermon today that will help you move closer to God and understand this church a little bit better. And so I want to read a story from the Bible that's in Matthew 16, where Jesus actually starts the church as we know it. And a lot of people say, I don't have a problem with Jesus, but the church is another story. But the problem with that is that Jesus started the church. And so I want to look at the story so we can learn from it and what the church is supposed to actually look like. And so here's the context to this story. Jesus has just gotten done teaching and performing performing miracles, so he decides to retreat a little bit and get away from the crowds, right? He has an introverted moment. You know, he's been around people all day. They're expecting things from him. He's like, dude, I need to take a step back. And so that's what he does. So he ends up hanging out with his 12 disciples, his 12 closest followers, and he asks them, who do people say I am? He's asking, what's the rumor? What are people saying about me? What are they calling me? Who do people say that I am? And this brings up a lot of answers from his disciples. Some say that people believe that he's a prophet. And some say people believe that he's a teacher or maybe he's just simply a preacher. Like he stands on the corner and just preaches to people. And then Jesus asks this in verse 15. It says this in Matthew 16, 15. It says, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And this is what Jesus does. He makes it personal He doesn't just tell his disciples the truth. He doesn't tell the disciples, all of these people are wrong. Here's the right answer. But instead, what he does, he asks them, what about you? What do you think? Based on what you've seen, based on your experience with me, let's talk about you. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that word Messiah means one who is sent from God. It means the one chosen to save. Jesus is going to redeem his people and bring them back to God. That is the Messiah. And Peter says, you're the son of the living God. Peter's saying, you are God. He's saying, you're God in the flesh. You and the Father are one. And then Jesus responds, now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all of the powers of hell will not conquer it. There's a lot of great things in this verse, but I think the most important part of what Jesus says is this phrase, upon this rock. This phrase is actually used again in the Bible, and it means built on this foundation. This idea of this is built on the foundation. And so what Jesus is saying is that this profession, this this thing that Peter just said is the foundation of his church. The fact that Jesus is the rescuer of God's people, that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, that the church is built on Jesus, who is the son of God, and his mission is to rescue God's people. He was sent to do that. That is the foundation of the church. That is what the church should look like. The problem is that too many churches have a different foundation. And maybe they don't know it. Maybe they don't even recognize it. But instead of Jesus and his mission being the foundation, their foundation is set on tradition. 
Or maybe the foundation is set on the, per, the church's personal mission, right? They, they have this idea that we're gonna come together, we're gonna do this thing. It's their own personal goals that they set. A lot of churches have their foundation built on rules. And what they do is they put all of these things before Jesus or maybe even equal to Jesus, but Jesus teaches that it starts with him, not the church. The church isn't the starting place. So when we start with Jesus and when we start with his mission, the church becomes the expression of a community of people who trust Jesus and live out his mission together. And so I encourage those of you who feel like you've been burned by the church, the best thing that you can do is start with Jesus. Don't start with the church. Don't start with tradition. Don't start with anything else. Start with Jesus and his mission and what he says that is. And the mission of Jesus is found in Luke 19.10. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And this is what it says. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Everything in Jesus' life was to accomplish this mission. All of his teaching, all of his healing, every prayer he prayed, every relationship he formed was all ultimately to seek and save those who are lost, those who are far from God. And out of that mission became the church. But when this doesn't happen, people get burned. When the church is not reflecting Jesus and his hope and his grace and his love and his truth, it becomes an institution of survival and power and manipulation. And so I wanna to talk to you for just a minute about how collective lives this out. And what we do is we start with Jesus and his mission. We say that we are a church for the rest of us. And so we're a church for people who have never been to church before. We're a church for people who have walked away from church or even people who have just struggled to find the right community. And we are a church that strives to seek and save lost people. About a year ago, Ray was a few months pregnant with Harper and we were out shopping at Target. And we'd been there for a pretty long time because it was one of those trips where you're like, I gotta buy groceries and life things. And so somehow you end up in Target for like three hours. You like go buy Starbucks a few times. You're like thinking about putting a tent in the back, right? It was just one of those days where we were just living in Target. And as we were pushing the cart around, my now four-year-old daughter, Elise, asked if she could get out and walk with us. And at first she was doing really well. You know, she was walking next to the cart. You know, she was dancing around a little bit. But eventually she began to push her limits a little bit more and a little bit more, trying to move further and further away from us. And each time I'd ask her to come back and she'd start laughing, thinking that we were playing a game. And then in the middle of us walking around, she just looked at me and said, you can't catch me. And then she took off. And so I briskly began to walk after her, but I quickly realized that I wasn't catching up. She was officially at that age where my walk was not faster than her run. And before I knew it, she was out of my sight. We had no idea where she went. I called her name and told her to come back, but she ignored me. And what was only a few minutes felt like an eternity. And Ray and I began to freak out because the store was incredibly crowded and we couldn't see her anywhere. And as we began to panic and look around and, and try to figure out what do we do, we heard a kid scamper by. I ran after and I caught up to her and Ray picked her up and she began to cry because for a moment we were terrified that we had no idea where our daughter was. But I thought a couple of things from that story afterwards. You know, Ray was pregnant with Harper at the time, but I, I never thought while Elise was missing, it's okay, we have another one on the way. Right? I mean, Elise disobeys sometimes. She doesn't eat her vegetables. She isn't a huge fan of sleeping, and I'm tired. I never thought that. Another thought I had was this. If you came up to me in that moment while I was looking for my daughter, and you came up to me in Target and said, hey, Michael, I think you're awesome. 
I think you're the best person ever. I love you. You're great. And here's my guitar. So I'm going to sing a few songs about how great you are. Right? I would have said that you're crazy. And if you said, okay, I've got a group of friends and they all like you just as much as I do. And we have this book of things that you've said. So we're going to sit in a circle and we're going to underline this book, highlight it, talk all about it and memorize this book because it talks all about you. I would have told you that I didn't care. And if you would have even said, hey, I have a check here. It's 10% of my income. And I just want to give it to you right now because I think you're awesome. I would have stopped you and would have said, listen, if you love me, go find my lost kid and bring her back to me. If those things will help you out, great, then do them. But otherwise, find my kid. That is all that I cared about. The most important thing that will ever happen in this church is when one of God's lost children comes home. It's not when one of God's lost children decides to follow the rules. It's not when one of God's lost children is manipulated or guilted into something they don't, they don't believe. It's not when one of God's lost children starts to tithe. It's not when one of God's lost children decides to get involved, but when one of God's lost children recognizes that I'm hurt, I'm broken, I can't do this on my own, and I need Jesus to forgive my past and teach me how to live. And when that happens, as a church, we celebrate with baptism. We are not a huge, like, clapping, cheerful church. When someone gets up here and we put a trough on the stage and they get baptized, this church goes nuts because the thing we care about most is when one of God's last children comes home. And baptism literally means to be immersed in water. So we set up this trough and people will publicly profess their faith in Jesus. What they actually do is they actually repeat what Peter said. They say, Jesus is my savior, my rescuer. He came for me, that he is my God. And then we baptize them. Because they're saying, I want to be clean. I want to be made new. I want to belong to Jesus. And this is what we believe the mission of Jesus is. So that's what we're about as a church. And what's really cool is next week, we're actually going to be celebrating as one of our friends, Jeremy, is getting baptized during second service. And this is a big deal. And it's going to be awesome. But some of you need to be wrestling with this decision and take the step next week to put your faith in Jesus and get baptized. The question is, like, what are you waiting for? The reality is we read Scripture, and Scripture teaches us that Jesus created the church for you. For those of you who feel like you're far from God or feel like you don't believe in God or feel like you're way, way off away from God or you feel like you've put up barriers between God, Jesus teaches us in this story that he created for those people. The church was created to seek and save lost people. If you feel like you were lost, if you feel like you are far from God, it is for you. It's not for church people. That's not what the church was created for. It was created so one of God's lost children can come home. And so if you are in that place, you need to be wrestling with this, that this is for you. If you're in that place, come talk to me after service. You can check off baptism on your connection card. Either way, you should be wrestling with this. And even though today we're talking about being burned by a church, and it could be a church in a state you grew up in, a church you checked out in college, maybe even a church that you tried in Maryland, all I can do as the pastor of Collective is speak on who we are as a church and what we want to be. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you five different promises about Collective. Promise number one, we will keep Jesus and his mission at the forefront of everything we do. We are a church for the rest of us. And you may not go to church because you've been burned by it, or you fell out of the habit, or you tried it and didn't connect, or maybe this is the first church you have ever checked out. Whatever the reason, we want to reach you because we believe that Jesus will set you free. This whole thing is for you. 
And I've said this before, but as long as there's one person within driving distance of this church that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know that God loves them, that God is for them, that God sees them and their mess and still embraces them, then our mission as a church is not accomplished. Our goal is to reach that person. And let me say this too. We are not your old church. We're not your mom's church. In some cases, we might be your mom's church. Literally, my mom is sitting right there. This is my mom's church. Okay, like I get that. But we're not the church you grew up in. We're relevant. We're all about Jesus. We will be patient with you and your sin. Jesus said in Luke 6 that a tree should be judged by its fruit. So judge collective, not by the past experiences that you have had, but have enough integrity to judge collective by collective. And we'll do everything we can to keep Jesus and his mission at the forefront of everything that we do. Promise number two, we will unintentionally let you down. It's not on purpose, but it will happen. And when I say we, and I'm talking about collective, I mean the whole of this church. It could be a small group leader, a volunteer, a staff member. It will probably be me. Let's be honest. It usually is me. I will let you down. That's why we tell people all the time that your hope should be in Jesus and not people. It should be in Jesus alone. Because if your hope is in me, guess what? Sometimes I'm an idiot. Sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I don't do what I need to be doing where God's leading me. I don't do those things. I will fall short. We will unintentionally let you down. And so if you want a perfect church, this isn't it. In fact, Philip Yancey, who's one of my favorite authors, one time said that one of his friends wanted to be a part of a perfect church. And because he couldn't find one, he actually moved to Australia to start the perfect church. And last Nancy heard, the church had three people coming to it, and no one else was allowed in because they were afraid they would mess it up. Right? And I'm not saying it's okay that we mess up or that we fall short or that we're messy people. We're trying to follow Jesus and his mission, but we will mess up. And grace will still be needed, not just for you, but for us as well. And so if you're looking for the perfect church, this isn't it. But if you're looking for a church that's going to try its best to seek and save the lost and will be honest about its imperfections, welcome home. Here's the third promise. You will be convicted of sin. I have people say, to me, say this to me all the time. They'll say, Michael, you make me cry every week. And, and I struggle with that a little bit, but I think it's a good thing. Because I think when you come together to worship God, to learn from the Bible, to be in community, God will work on your soul. He will prod and he will push and he will convict and he will challenge and you will hear him whispering and encouraging you, you need to start doing this. Or you'll hear him challenging you, you need to stop doing that. And the truth is we know that can be uncomfortable. But Jesus has promised that following him is a better way to live and he wants to bring that out of you. It's kind of like working out. If you do a new type of workout or maybe you work out a muscle you haven't worked out in a while, it's going to hurt. You're gonna be sore. And it would be tempting to say that hurts, so I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to give up. But that would be the opposite of what you need to do. You need to push through it because that means you're growing and getting healthier. And so the goal here is we find a better way to live by following Jesus. So let me just encourage you preemptively for those of you, when you get convicted and things start to hurt and feel uncomfortable, don't leave. When things start to hurt, don't leave. Because if you come here and your marriage is not where it's supposed to be, at some point you're going to get convicted and God's going to whisper to you that you need to change, that you need to have some humility, but don't leave. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend or sleeping with girls that you date and you aren't married, you will come here and you may get inspired and you may enjoy it every week. At some point, God is going to convict you. He's going to press on a place that doesn't feel good and you're going to think, I don't want to go back, but don't leave. 
at some point you're gonna get convicted here that your finances are out of control and that you need to be debt-free and not live paycheck to paycheck and you need to be avoiding calls from Visa because you're behind on your payments because of your materialism. And you're gonna think, I don't want to feel that way, but don't leave and don't quit. Just because things get hard doesn't mean you give up. Just because God is speaking to you and it hurts doesn't mean you give up. It means that it's working. You will be convicted by, the sin, by sin if you stay here, but there will be grace. There will be endless second chances, but Jesus is also full of truth and sometimes it sings, but we know that we need both. Promise number four is that we're gonna be part of the solution. There are a lot of groups that are easy to bash. With the political climate right now, it's easy to bash both political parties. There's wackos on both sides of the spectrum, right? The NFL draft just took place this weekend. So what we do is we sit and we watch TV and we bash teams, we bash players, we bash GMs, all of it. And the thing is, the thing that's easiest to bash is the church. It really is. We can all share some story that we saw in the news. We can probably all share a story of something that happened to us. We can share a story of something that happened to someone that was close to us. But I want to be a part of the solution. That's why we started Collective. That's always what we wanted to do was to be part of the solution. We don't define ourselves by what we are not. We don't define ourselves by what we used to be. We define ourselves by the actions and what we do here and now. That's why we donate to local organizations every single time a first-time guest card is turned in. This is why we spend time every month in this school supporting the teachers and administration. This is why we fight hunger in our city and do our best to feed kids. Speaking of that, we actually have something incredible planned for July 14th this year, but I'm not gonna tell you about it right now. It's different than anything we've ever done before. Put it on your calendar, but it's a way that we can help kids who are food insecure in our city, in this school, and in our county, and it's gonna be great. But the way we become part of the solution is to be the church, to serve those whose society overlooks. And so we will be, as a church, we will be part of the solution. Critiquing the church is easy, but it's more difficult to say, what can I do to be the church and carry on the mission of Jesus? And this is the last promise. At Collective, your life will be changed. There's a group of people that have invested in this church and in the things of God, and our lives have been changed because of it. We've seen marriages healed, addictions broken, unhealthy relationships ended. We've seen people pay off tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And we've seen people who are far from God come back to him. And we've even seen people who've been close to God for a long time be challenged to grow even closer, all in the 19 months that we've existed as a church. And if you join us on this journey of faith and following Jesus, your life will be changed forever. And I know, and I know that some of those are bold promises to make. But the thing is, we have confidence in Jesus and his mission. And Jesus himself says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And what that means is that when the church is done the right way, with Jesus and his mission first, it won't fail. It won't be perfect. It'll be very messy, but it won't fail. And when the church is done the right way, it can change the war world. And more importantly, it can change your life forever. The church can be the most beautiful institution in the world if we let it, if we put Jesus and his mission first. Let's pray. God, for a few thousand years, um, 
we've kind of screwed this whole church thing up. God, somewhere along the line, we decided that it was about us, about our opinions, about our feelings, God, about what we want, and somehow we lost sight of you. God, we focused on tradition, and we focused on rules, and we focused on our own personal goals, but not who you are and what you want. So God, I pray as a church, um, we can focus on you first and your mission first. God, that that we can focus on being a church that seeks and saves lost people. God, that, that we can focus on being a church that was created for people who are far from God to come home. God, that we can be a church for people who understand that mission and wanna join together to make sure that happens in our city and in our county and in our state. God, I pray for those uh, who've been burned by the church. God, a church hurt them before because they misused power, um, because the church decided that their brokenness maybe was too much. Or God, for people who showed up in the church longing for something, longing for hope, looking for an answer from you and got something completely different instead. God, I pray for those people who are in that place that today can be a little bit of a piece of hope for them. God, that what they experienced in the past, while it was wrong and while it was bad and while it was uh, not good for them, God, that it wasn't what you wanted for them. God, I I pray that today uh, in this church and in this place, they can move closer to you and what your church is supposed to look like. God, thank you for the mission that you give us. God, thank you that you started it. God, help us be people in a church and a community that chases that as much as we can and helps your lost children come home. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.